Welcome to the AFIRE podcast. It's the summer of COVID-19, and I don't remember a time when there was so much uncertainty and so little clarity. So how can managers and investors transparently communicate even when they're not exactly sure what's going on? Today, I'm talking with G. Andrew Smith. He's the CEO of LNB Realty Advisors, and he has some really good thinking about how to do just that. So thank you, Andy, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Thank you for having me. Look forward to it. So for the summer issue of Summit, you wrote an outstanding piece on transparency that you called Craving the Light, which is, I think, my favorite title of the summer. Uh, really talking about the, the expanded need for transparency in the days that we find ourselves, not just because of COVID, uh, but because of advances in our industry. So wanted to get kind of a, an idea of, of what drove your thinking around writing such an article and, and what are the things that, that you want to make sure that folks in our industry really pay attention to? You said it well. Uh, COVID is certainly responsible for um, taking transparency from what I would call maybe a little T to now a big T, but so is the just natural progression of technology. I know many of the managers today are setting up data rooms for their clients to um, have access with permission to come into and and actually listen in on and participate on the different phases of uh, due diligence. So they could, for instance, um, listen to the acquisitions group and what it is that they they see and what the risks are and what the promises are. So it's both being driven by technology and certainly uh, with COVID, um, People are wearing masks, and it's it's hard to tell uh, on a Zoom meeting who's who's really being as authentic as perhaps it is when you can read the body language from head to toe and um, see whether they're smiling or grinning or what's going on facially. or whether or not they're, they're wearing shoes. Um, you just, you can't tell. <laughs> but it seems to me that a lot of this is being driven by the investors themselves. And in the article you refer to the EIU survey that seemed to suggest that, that the majority of the, the respondents listed degree of transparency is more important than any other investment uh, consideration. Were you surprised by that? I really wasn't. Um, I think there's so many pieces to the overall investment process, you think about research, you think about asset management, you think about asset management and leasing, um, and investment performance clearly um, needs to be good long-term. But if you're transparent with your dealings, I do think you can write out any squall lines, if you will. The stronger the transparency, the stronger the trust, um, the more lenient um, investors will be through difficult times. So not, not totally surprised that transparency trumps it all. 
Now, most pitches I see, everyone talks about their transparency. It's almost like talking about, uh, I guess, uh, mom and apple pie. It's a wonderful thing to have, hard to execute. And, you know, one person's transparency is another person's opacity. So what do you think transparency looks like? Hmm. Yeah, great question. Uh, To me, it's you can be very tough and be transparent. It's not just um, roses and wine. I think a, a cult culture, if you will, probably approaches their business more from what I would call a systems approach. And the systems approach would really be where different individuals are pulling different levers. Uh, and they don't really get to see the overall big picture. So you can get some unexpected outcomes from that kind of an approach. Um, And you can even get possibly more of a a hammer type approach because uh, if things don't go as planned, then it's more of an individual process rather than a team. Uh, I think the important part about transparency is to have more of a collaborative approach and and that really would take on more of a flashlight than a hammer um, kind of illustration where uh, everybody cooperates, everybody's responsible and accountable, and it feels safe to, to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think given that the investment time horizon that we focus on in, in uh, institutional real estate is lengthy and you know goes through multi- often through more than one cycle, uh, it means that things will probably not go as planned. So that that transparency becomes all the more important. Things aren't always rosy, um, to your point. Um, you know, and, and it seems more philosophical than technical. I mean, you know, you talk about um, having uh, virtual deal rooms and places for people to get data and information and, and, and special places, but everyone does have that. Is it possible to be transparent or is it possible to be opaque if you have all that data available? I think it's possible to do either. Um, and certainly the premium on, on the big T for transparency um, I think it's up to the CEO, uh, if you will, to push down transparency and across the organization so that it's, it's if you will, baked in the cake uh, and the teams understand that that's what's expected. Because then if the CEO pushes it down and across the organization, it can then go out to all of the stakeholders, the investors, the consultants, um, and I think it shows it's, and it's not easy to do and it's day to day. So it almost requires, a, it sounds like a level of humility, uh, in terms of understanding that it's a, a constant process. I think you, you talk about striving for best results. How is that different in your mind than best practices? I was on the board of a major university in Chicago and the CEO of McDonald's at the time was the chair of that board. And, um, I would love it when he, the auditors would come in from what was then the big eight accounting firm and talk about best practices. And the, Mike Quinlan, uh, the great CEO at McDonald's, said, uh, those are wonderful, but talk to me about best results. And I think best practices, when I asked him to go a little deeper on that as a sidebar with me, are sort of, they're needed, but 
you can get um, a little lazy with them because you aren't really asked to reinvent the wheel. You can rely on those best practices and they do get stale. So with best results, I think you're more in the innovation game and then others will catch up to you and that will come tomorrow's, that will bring about tomorrow's best practices. So it's an evolution. Well, it also implies that we haven't completely figured out everything going forward, that best practices, it's almost like, well, this is the way, uh, as opposed to understanding that the way is constantly evolving. Um, I, I think you, you talk a lot about the relationship and collaboration. How do you think through kind of creating room to have that kind of relationship uh, with your investors? I think you need to be creative to give that space, first of all, and it can come in many forms. Um, you can actually have your LPs, your investors sit in on your investment committee meetings, even though you may have full discretion. Now, their lawyers may tell them they shouldn't do that, but if we tell them um, we're not going to ask you to uh, participate or make decisions. We want you to have a front row seat and observe our practices. And um, a little disappointing, not all take us up on that, but those that do seem to have a real appreciation for seeing how we make our judgments and our decisions. Um, so that that's one, one example. I think um, another way for relationships, you really, again, have to start internal and have frequent uh, performance appraisals with your teams and and more frequent and less formal. What did you what did you see good? What maybe could be improved? Constant, constant feedback. It sounds like you're you're really asking the people that you're working with to give you that feedback on a regular basis, even if it's uncomfortable. Exactly. And with that space, it becomes comfortable. It may be difficult but it's comfortable. We have portfolio managers, and I'm sure uh, most of our competitors do, that have the big T in transparency that um, will come into your office and um, argue for a unilaterally and voluntary fee reduction because for whatever reason, um, the load has gotten either lighter or others have had to be called in and to make room for for those others. So you've got to have people comfortable in order to be creative and to be um, adding value. How do you create that that habit of, of, of embracing discomfort? How do you do it with your employees? How do you do it for yourself? How do you make sure that you're not just staying in that comfortable place? Certainly events and movements are more important than words and letting your your people know that you're always on their team. Uh, doesn't mean they won't make mistakes. Doesn't mean you'll sit down and have a chat after an event, but um, you're always on their team. And if you can't be on their team, then that's a different conversation. Fortunately, those don't happen often, but they do happen. So being intentional and letting them know you've got their back or without those, uh, you, you won't be able to start that process of finding more space. You, you wrote a little bit about shared beliefs and kind of stated that you shouldn't assume a manager knows everything that's important to an investor and probably vice versa. How do you find those shared beliefs together? Most of our clients, uh, and that's what I can speak best to, are pension funds. 
and large ones, but still with small real estate staffs. Very talented people, but just not a lot of people. So to ask them questions that maybe don't seem germane up front uh, can look like a waste of time, but those are the kind of ways that you get into some serious curiosity and find out what the drivers are of that investor's investment program. And each one's different. And the more you can find those differences and then work on those and make them part of your dialogue, uh, the more you're going to add value. A teacher of mine once, uh, once told me to get curious, just to keep keep being curious and keep asking questions that, that the danger always seems to be when we assume something, anything, that those assumptions always seem to get us into trouble. They get you into trouble. And then one thing that some of our newer peoples, they're just, they're very conscious of the limited amount of time these staffs have. So they're reluctant to ask questions that they don't feel are spot on to the investment process, but they still may be very important drivers. You went into some detail in the article around information flow, around big data, um, and how those things might be tricky for a firm that's trying to really advance transparency. Uh, can you expand on that? Sure. I, I think, you know, there's oceans of data out there, uh, thanks to all of the machine learning that we now have, and it's wonderful. It, it's, it's, it's creative. It, it's good. Uh, but it needs to be harnessed and it needs to be viewed through a lens of integrity because just like footnotes to a financial statement, footnotes to big data are absolutely essential because of the, the private models that most of these uh, big data AI folks have with their, uh, their models. Uh, they're patented. They're, they're quiet about them as they need to be. But um, I think I gave one example in the article about uh, Carbon Lighthouse, who uh, helps with uh, energy savings and provides a minimum guarantee of what they'll um, promise you you're going to save in energy. So they're still going to keep their algorithms and their model private, but they're at least letting you know that there's going to be a minimum outcome. One of the things that I find kind of difficult about um, data in general, and, and whether it's AI generated or it's the data that we're that we're creating inside our own firms, is is that it's very easy to tell multiple stories with the same information. Um, how do you think through creating as as transparent a story, if you will, or the ability for investors to 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 see? exactly what's going on or the closest you can get to that objective reality? Great question and not really a great answer except to bring them in as close to the daily um, conversations and decisions around that data and include them um, as active participants so that in turn you can ask their questions of these service providers in uh, the AI space. But um, I think you just have to be very careful and have a, uh, a lens that looks at the data and the time frames and what they're really measuring. Um, the one about foot traffic, uh, Placer AI is a great tool. We use it all the time, but it doesn't tell you how many shopping bags uh, the consumer's walking out with. It's all about the foot traffic. 
So there's a gap right there between what's, how's that translate foot traffic to sales. You mentioned in the article that we seem to have learned a lot from the GFC, the great financial crisis, and we have become, as an industry, more transparent since that time with the things that we've learned. What do you think we are learning now that will help advance our uh, ability to be transparent uh, with investors in the future? Uh, I was on a call this morning that sort of went down that same fairway, and it was yeah, we're going to be post another great financial crisis here, hopefully one of these days. So what lessons learned from the the first one and, uh, that we can apply now? And I, I think um, for, first and foremost is just the importance of reporting. Um, when you can't go to a client's office and sit across from them and go through a, at least an annual business plan, the highest of all planning, or maybe it's a quarterly report. Um, you've really got to have the report speak to them and speak to them in real estate terms, not just in uh, financial terms, because you, you can't really round the conversation out. Uh, over the phone, well, over the phone you can, but not in person with them. So reporting definitely um, right now has a premium. Uh, and I think research has a premium. Um, I don't know, um, you know, all of us are asking where retail's going. Great question, wish I knew. But the more uh, we can look at that post-COVID, uh, would be helpful. And I don't know what that looks like, except that those are the questions we ought to be uh, asking ourselves so that we can come out of this haze, if you will, uh, all the smarter. I imagine when you're reporting that you probably say a lot of the same things you just said here in terms of, I don't know. It seems that that's one of the most important things from a transparency standpoint is, is not pretending that you know all the answers, that you are following what is happening and you're trying to learn from it, but that uh, there are no experts in a, in a realm of, of, of a pandemic. Yeah, you really, uh, great point. You really have to be willing and confident enough to know when to say, I don't know, instead of trying to wing it or um, give give partial answers. Uh, I think a big, a big flare goes up uh, when an investor starts seeing, particularly on any kind of a, a repetitive basis that um, um, you didn't give them an answer. Well, if I think saying I, I don't know, I haven't looked at the data, that's something we're watching. That is an answer. It's not it's not one we all just really embrace and like, but it's um, it's an important answer to show transparency and to move on from um, just trying to wing it. I think that's that's excellent advice and probably a good place to stop as we are uh, running out of time. But um, I encourage anyone who's listening to this to uh, take a look at the summer issue of Summit and, and take a look at Andy's piece. I think it's well worth reading. And I think we need to constantly remind ourselves uh, to take transparency to heart and make it a part of our, our DNA, if you will, um, as we go forward. So thank you, Andy, for uh, sharing your thoughts here today. My pleasure. Thank you. Before we close out completely, I want to make sure that we thank uh, AFIRE's underwriters who help support our programming throughout the year, whether virtual or in person. 
Um, and it's thanks to the generosity of groups like Prologis, JLL, and Holland Partners that we're able to provide you with this podcast. Thank you all. This podcast is produced by AFIRE, the Association for International Real Estate Investors focused on commercial property in the United States. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. None of the content is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included in this podcast may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. This is Gunnar Branson from the AFIRE podcast. Thank you for listening.